Hey guys, real quick before we get started, we are doing a free giveaway for listeners between now and May 31st. Cash prizes, free swag, Yacht Meetup tickets, San Diego Padre tickets, and more. All you got to do to qualify is go to Spotify or Apple Podcasts and drop a five-star review. Send a screenshot to giveaway at summerscapital.com and we'll be selecting lucky winners May 31st. As always, I appreciate the support. Now let's jump into the show. So when I first started, my first deal was in Cincinnati. And at the time, I was just thinking, man, I want to get into something to where you know, I'm not going to lose money to where it's going to be hard to screw up and something that that's going to provide a lot of cash flow. And, um, you know, going into a market like Cincinnati, it, it has decent fundamentals for a Midwest market. It's got, you know, decent population growth. It's got decent employment growth, but it's Cincinnati and, you know, it's never going to be as expensive as California or as Florida. Welcome to the Rich Summers Report, where we talk real estate, business, and wealth building, all while keeping it real. No fluff, no BS. I hope that you enjoy the show. All right. Welcome to another episode of The Report. In this episode, I am going to highlight the three criteria that I'm going to be looking for personally in my journey to buy real estate in 2023. And you could apply these three rules and principles to your journey as well in 2023. So number one is you want to buy at a discount. Right now, we are seeing the market soften because of the interest rate environment that we're in. So in a softening market is very important to not pay retail. In an increasing market or a market that's growing, it's okay to pay retail because you know the property is going to be worth more six months from the time you buy it. But right now, there's a good chance that six months from now, the market's going to be even softer than it is today. So you want to make sure that you're not paying retail. But that said, keep in mind the fundamentals are great and it's important to remember the reasons why um, the market is softening. And it's really just the interest rates, if you think about it. It's what the Federal Reserve is doing. We saw massive inflation, eight eight and a half percent inflation reports last year. And so they came out and said, hey, we're going to hike the rates. And um, no one believed they were going to do it. And they came out and did a 50 basis point increase. And then they did another 50. And then they did a 75 and a few 75s. And, and rates are up, you know, three and a half points from where they were this time last year. So that is causing the market to slow down. The cost of borrow money has basically doubled. And so people can no longer afford to pay the same price for the property they, they were able to a year ago because the cost of borrow money has gone up. But it's important to remember the fundamentals are actually very good. So if you look at the supply and demand fundamentals across America in all markets around the country, there is a massive shortage of supply, whether it's single family homes, whether it's apartment units to rent, and you know, because of the interest rate environment, the new builders are pulling back on their new projects. And so this is only going to further worsen the supply issue that we're seeing. Interest rates are temporary. They will normalize at some point. Who knows when that's going to be? It could be later this year. It could be sometime in 2024, but they will normalize at some point. And so it's important to also remember whatever you buy right now, Make sure that you don't get into something with a very expensive prepayment penalty because you know that when rates go back down, you're probably going to want to refi that that mortgage out. So it's important to buy at a discount. Number two rule is you want to buy something where you can add value. Every property that I bought in my real estate investing career minus one property has been a value add opportunity and a value add business plan to where I bought something that was underperforming, it was discounted, it was old, maybe it was tired, 
And then I went in and, you know, through renovations and through good operations, I was able to improve the value of the property. The one property I bought, which was not a value add deal, is a, a new construction, two bedroom condo here in San Diego. I bought that in 2019 because I had a no money down Navy Federal Credit Union pre-approved mortgage. And I thought, okay, well, this, you know, brand new construction is not too far from where I live, believe in this neighborhood, it's a good location, close to the airport here in San Diego and close to um, a lot of good retail and shopping and, and nightlife. And I thought, well, two bedroom, new construction, I can legally short-term rental it. And so I thought, why not pick it up? So I, po- I bought it for 574. And since that thing has gone up, and now one of the uh, recent condos uh, sold next door for 825 because I bought that right, but I also bought in a market that was going up in value. So that said, it's very, very important to buy something that goes that has the potential to add value. There is a deal that I bought, um, going back to my first deal. So first deal was 11 units in Cincinnati. It was run down. It was tired. Picked that thing up, improved it, renovated some of the units, improved the exterior, got the rents up, and that thing appraised about 18 months later for about double what I had bought it for. You know, you can go back to a lot of different deals that I've done. All the apartment deals were, were such as this. So syndicated a couple larger apartments with my old partners. That's in North Carolina, Greensboro. Both deals we bought for uh, one for 12.7 and the other one actually also for 12.7. And both of those deals respectively today, one's worth about 2021. 20, and the other one's worth about 16, maybe 17 right now, but still has a lot of room to grow. So, you know, and, and, and both of those deals, really, we didn't do anything crazy. We just went in, you know, did light renovations, did about three to $4,000 per unit, LVP flooring, some fresh paint. We uh, updated some of the, the cabinetry, you know, we just put in new doors, new hardware, and, you know, gives it the look of a, a brand new kitchen for a very, very small cost. So, you know, with a lot of these deals that you guys are looking at out there, you don't need to go in and do massive renovations. It just really depends on what you're buying. So, you know, I would say if you're buying, you know, if you're buying C or B class apartments, you know, those tenants, they don't necessarily need to get the stainless steel appliances and the granite or quartz countertops and all these high-end finishes. So you really got to know your clientele and who's going to be staying at your property because, you know, on the flip side, you could over-renovate a property um, if you don't know what kind of demographic that you're trying to attract. So if you're you know, tenants are making $40,000 a year, you're not going to renovate that same unit the same way that you would renovate an A-class apartment to where your tenants are, you know, making $100,000 a year. So it's important to understand that. It's also important to always understand the median household income within a one and three mile radius of your property for those reasons. Some of the other ways you can add value is not just through renovations, but you can build ADUs. So here in California, for example, you can basically purchase a lot of single-family lots now. So if you purchase a single-family home on a larger lot, you can actually get permits to build an ADU, which stands for Accessory Dwelling Unit, basically just a brand new construction apartment unit that you can just like slap in your backyard, which is kind of cool. The reason why they're implementing it is because there's a affordable housing crisis in California. There's not a lot of land to build on. Rents are expensive as is. The price to buy a a home is expensive as is. And so to combat that and address that issue, basically the state came out and said, hey, if you have a single family home on a a large enough lot, we'll let you build, you know, an apartment. 
And so in some cases, you can even build multiple units. I'm actually going through this right now with a property I have in San Diego about a few years ago. It's single family, but it's zoned for four units. Currently, it's a three-bed, two-bath house. And then in the back, there's a studio unit. I'm operating both of those as short-term rentals. But about 18 months ago, I started the permitting process to build a third unit, which is going to be a one-bed, one-bath. And we're about two weeks from getting the permits for that. And we're going to be starting construction March 3rd, I believe. And, um, you know, I think when you build out these ADUs, it's important to do them in locations where the average price per square foot comps are higher rather than lower because the cost to build, generally speaking, and the cost to renovate, generally speaking, is going to be the same whether you're in the Midwest or you're in a coastal market. But you know, or and I know that you're going to create a lot more equity growth if you're in a high growth market or if you're in a coastal market, because the average per square foot comps in a good neighborhood of San Diego, for example, will be 800 bucks a square foot. So I know I can build ground up construction for about 250 bucks a square foot all in. That's electrical plumbing, that's permits, that's everything all in, 250 a foot. And if I want to go luxury high end, maybe I spend 300 a foot, maybe 325 a foot. But if the average price per square foot comps in that neighborhood are selling for $800 a square foot, I get to pocket on that delta, which is, you know, $500 a square foot, and then multiply that across, you know, a thousand square foot unit that you're building. That's a pretty nice delta that you're able to arbitrage, if you would. But on the flip side, if you're building this in Cincinnati, where the average price per square foot comps are 250 bucks a square foot, and you're going to spend 250 bucks a square foot to build, you're not really creating any delta. And you're not really forcing any equity or creating equity out of thin air, I like to call it, if you would. So if you're going to do these renovations, I think, and you're not, you're going to build new construction, do them in areas and neighborhoods that have a higher price per square foot comp set versus the lower stuff. It's going to cost a little bit more to get into these areas, but you know, in all reality, it's easier to get lending in a lot of these areas that have good fundamentals and are higher growth, if you would, because it's a little bit less risk from a lending standpoint. So another way that you can add value is by increasing the income of the property. There's so many different ways to increase the income of the property, but you know, just remember that you know anything that's a commercial deal, let's say it's apartment buildings, if we're, we're talking multifamily, um, anything that's four units or less, so single family, duplex, triplex, fourplex, that's all considered residential real estate. But if you're talking five units and up, so six unit building, a 10 unit building, 150 unit building, that is considered commercial real estate. And the way that commercial real estate is valued differently is, you know, with residential, it's valued based on the sales comp approach. So whatever that building is or whatever that home is worth across the street or whatever that townhouse is worth across the street from a sales comp perspective, ballpark or generally speaking is what your property is also worth. But when you're talking commercial real estate, so if you're talking a 12-unit apartment complex or 150-unit apartment complex, that is more so valued based on the income approach. So whatever the net operating income is of that property, generally speaking, is going to determine how much your property is worth. So the formula is this, net operating income, so NOI, divided by the cap rate, and the cap rate to be specific is whatever the market cap rate is in that point of time for that given asset class, 
It could be anywhere from 2% in a very high growth market, like maybe, you know, Austin, Texas. So you're buying a brand new construction deal in Austin, it might be a 2.5% cap rate. Or if you're in a Midwest, you know, suburban area of Ohio, you might be looking at a 10 cap market. And so it's really just all a risk adjusted return because a cap rate at the end of the day is a market's opinion of risk adjusted return. So if you are investing in middle of nowhere, Ohio, that's a riskier market. So there's going to be more cash flow for a market like that, given the same purchase price. But in an area like Santa Barbara or Scottsdale, Arizona or Nashville, Tennessee, those are high growth markets. They impose less risk. There's more long-term appreciation. And so because of that, investors are able or willing to pay a premium for the same amount of cash flow. And that's what reduces the market cap rate. So anyways, to go back to the formula, the income approach is net operating income divided by the cap rate. And that's what determines your valuation. So I think once you understand that formula, it can be a very powerful lever because I know when we go by these hotels or we go by these larger apartment communities, you know, every time we increase that NOI, there's a massive lever in terms of valuation. And if we can lower our cap rate, that also is a big lever as well. If we lower our expenses of the property, maybe we start billing back for utilities, right? If we buy an apartment building and currently the the water is all master metered, for example, and the, the seller is paying all the water bill for the entire community, we know we can go in there and we can either bill back water to the tenants or we can convert all the water meters into individual water meters. And then that way the city actually bills the tenants directly. And that's another value add that doesn't really cost a whole lot to implement. With our two deals in North Carolina, the two larger apartment complexes, we actually implemented that strategy which costs a little bit of money because out in North Carolina, you're not legally allowed to bill back the tenants for water in that state, but you can submeter for water, which is what we did. So there's many ways to do it. You can, you know, start charging pet fees. Even with our short-term rentals, we charge pet fees, but, you know, in apartments, you can allow pets, you can charge pet fees. You can, you know, reach agreements with local vendors. For example, like if you offer cable and internet packages for your residents at your apartment community, there's local internet companies that if you sign an exclusive agreement with them, let's say, hey, for the next five years, you say all of our residents are going to use your cable company for you know internet, they'll actually give you a stipend if you sign that exclusive agreement. And so all you need to do is tell the residents, hey, this is the cable company we're using. But if you sign this contract, the cable company will actually cut you a check to do this exclusive agreement because they know they're, they're going to make X amount of dollars for the next five years. So that's another way to add money to your NOI. Learning to become a successful real estate investor can take a lot of time and dedication, which some people just don't have. If you're one of these individuals, this doesn't mean you can't invest in real estate. My company, Summers Capital, is buying a bunch of boutique hotels right now, and you can invest with us in these deals without having to do any of the work. Our team sources the deals, we secure the lending, we take care of all the renovations, and we even handle all the day-to-day operations with our in-house management company, making it truly hands-off and passive for our investors. If you want to learn more to see if we can help you, go to Summers summerscapital.com slash invest to book a call with our team. Again, that's summerscapital.com slash invest. Now back to the show. Anyway, so that's that's another way. But I think the important thing here is to remember, this is the number two rule. Make sure you are buying something to where you can add tremendous value. And the reason for that is because it gives you a cushion 
and a margin for error should you miss on your projections or should the market continue to soften. But if the market turns around and it will turn around, you are going to really see a big pop in appreciation by buying something to where you can add value. It gives you control and it gives you that margin for error. The number three rule is you want to buy in a good location. And this might be the most important rule out there for any real estate investor. And I know I've had a shift in perspective. My perspective is always shifting as I gain more knowledge and as I do more deals and as I meet more people and as I just get more experience, my perspective is always shifting. So when I first started, my first deal was in Cincinnati. And at the time I was just thinking, man, I want to get into something to where, you know, I'm not going to lose money to where it's going to be hard to screw up and something that that's going to provide a lot of cash flow. And, um, you know, going into a market like Cincinnati, it, it has decent fundamentals for a Midwest market. It's got, you know, decent population growth. It's got decent employment growth, but it's Cincinnati and, you know, it's never going to be as expensive as California or as Florida because it's just less of an appealing place to live. People don't, generally speaking, don't make as much money. People that are high income earners, they typically move out of places like that. So, you know, I know over the next 20 to 30 years, you know, if I own real estate in California, it's going to go up a lot more in value than it is in Cincinnati. But the reason I went there for the first deal, and I did a couple deals there that I still own today, is because I just thought, man, I don't want to screw it up. I have no experience. Let me get my feet wet in a market that's a little bit easier to maneuver. So I have no problem with anyone going into a Midwest market to do their first few deals. I know Cincinnati right now is like top 10 in the country in terms of rent growth. It's actually got some great fundamentals. So, you know, if you're looking to get into an apartment building as your first deal, Cincinnati is great. It's a great option. I totally back it. The deals that I bought there, both of them have done great. I've been able to refi both of those deals out. I have no money in either of those deals and those things just print money like clockwork. And I have a third-party property management company operate them and it's very hands-off. It, it the, Both of those deals really take five minutes of my time per month. And that's really just reviewing the owner's statement and making sure everything is going well. And then that's it. Everything else is ran by the third-party management company. And you know the rents keep going up in those markets. So I totally support anyone going in there just to kind of get their feet wet. But then as you get more experience, you know, at least for me, I thought, well, generally speaking, the cost for me to renovate and the time is that's required for me to put together a business plan and make sure that everything is going according to plan is going to be the same, generally speaking, in Cincinnati than it is in Scottsdale or a market like San Diego. But I know I'm going to create a lot more equity growth in a market like Scottsdale or a San Diego. So, you know, since then I've shifted. I'm no longer buying in Cincinnati. I would if I, I saw the right deal or opportunity. One of my broker buddies who sold me both of those deals in Cincinnati J.D. Schmerge with Marcus and Millichap, great dude. He actually sent me a deal today that was uh, 28 units vacant in a really good location of Cincinnati. He said, hey, do you want to pick this up? This is a great location. I think you could do really well. And I asked him, I said, well, what is the pricing guidance and what's the ARV? And he said the guidance was like 70000 a unit purchase price, but it's a vacant, basically down to the studs, 28 unit apartment building. So it's going to need a lot of work. And so he's thinking it's going to need about 35K per unit in work to get it up to speed, which from, you know, let's be honest, most of these deals typically go over budget. So the 35 is probably closer to 45. So now we're all in for about 115 a door. And he said the ARV is about 145, maybe 150 a door. Well, for me to 
take on all that time and, you know, the time is the main thing for me. I think as I get more and more experience, I think time becomes more and more valuable. So for me to put together all this stuff and the time and go through getting the lending and sourcing the contractors and all this, putting it all together, it's not worth it to get a $30,000 unit arbitrage. And so you multiply across that the, uh, the 28 units, you know, you're looking at a decent pop, but like for me, I just, it's not worth it anymore. But early on, yeah, I might be interested in that, you know, but right now I'm just like, okay, if I can do that same renovation out here in San Diego, I'm not looking at a $30,000 pop per unit. I'm probably looking at a $150,000 pop per unit, which to me, you know, you multiply that across multiple units and now you're talking a lot more zeros and commas, right? And so, yeah, that's a good example of, you know, the location, but um, you really got to look at within the market, you really got to also look at the neighborhood. And there's a lot of good tools out there that we like to use to source, you know, neighborhoods and look at the fundamentals within these neighborhoods. One of them is is Neighborhood Scout. Costs about 100 bucks a month for a subscription. I believe you can pull 100 reports off of that $100 a month subscription, but it's great. You can put up basically dial in any address around the country. It will pull up median household income. It will pull up unemployment rate. It will pull up schools, crime data. It will show you uh, all sorts of different fundamentals and things. But those are the main ones you want to look at. Median household income. Generally speaking, the mean, the U.S. mean for median household income is about $60,000. Maybe it's a little bit higher than that now. So you really want to be kind of in that 50K plus range. You know, you start getting into the $30,000 median household income uh, neighborhoods and, and now you're, you're starting to talk some pretty, you know, rough areas. Generally speaking, you know, if the median household income is low, I know the schools are probably going to be pretty poor and there's going to be a lot of crime. But also on the flip side, that the median household income is high, let's say it's 60K or 80K, you know that the crime is going to be low and the schools are going to be better. And so you really want to buy in good locations. You don't want to buy the stuff in these these rough, rough areas. I think it's okay if it's like your first couple deals and you're like, hey, I just you know I want to get into whatever I can. I don't have a lot of money. It's okay to get into, you know, some of these C-class, you know, workforce housing neighborhoods, but just make sure the median household income isn't $20,000. Make sure it's at least 40 and make sure the crime and the violent crime data isn't too crazy. And just know you're going to have to be a little bit more hands-on with those types of properties. The first 11-unit deal I did in Cincinnati, that was, I think the median household income was right around 42. The crime was like, eh, it wasn't like the best, but, you know, it that area had some good stuff around it too. It was close to the University of Xavier. It was close to a lot of hospitals. And so although the neighborhood was not, you know, ideal, it was not a, a D-class neighborhood, if you would, where there's gang activity and all that sort of stuff going on. So you always want to buy in a good neighborhood. Those areas are typically going to hold their value better through any sort of downturn or recession. But then also when the market or the economy turns around and it will turn around, those areas are going to appreciate much quicker than some of these rougher areas. So yeah, you always want to buy a good location and uh, within those markets, you want to buy in a good neighborhood. So just to review and summarize, rule number one, you want to be able to buy at a discount in 2023. The market is softening. Who knows how long the Fed's going to keep these interest rates high, but as long as they're high, the market's going to continue to soften. So you want to buy at a discount. There's not a lot of buyer competition out there right now. So go submit offers. If don't be afraid to get your offer rejected, you know, there's a lot of these sellers don't have multiple offers. So 
because you're submitting a, a lowball offer, don't feel like you're offending the seller. You don't have a lot of competition right now. So right now is the time to get aggressive and go put in multiple offers because you never know when you're going to come across that seller that needs to sell for whatever reason. Rule number two, buy value-add deals, whether it's through renovations, whether it's through adding square footage, whether it's through building additional units on the lot, whether it's through increasing the NOI, the income of the property, decreasing the expenses. There's so many different ways to do it. You want to buy something to where you can you know, add value because it gives you a cushion and a margin for error should the economy continue to soften, but also in case you miss on your projections. And sometimes you miss on your projections, right? Sometimes you miss in the green and you know the, the deal turns out to be better than what you projected. But sometimes uh, it, you know, it, you fall a little bit short and that's okay too, as long as you're building value and you're buying at a discount. Okay. Uh, now rule number three, buy a good location in a good market. So make sure the market has good fundamentals. You know, I, I highly discourage going and buying in areas like Cleveland or Detroit where, you know, the population is declining. People are moving out. You don't want to buy in those types of areas, generally speaking, because they're just not going to appreciate. You want to buy in areas that are growing. People are moving there. The employment is growing. Uh, the jobs are high paying. Those are the areas you want to get into. And then within those areas, you want to buy in great locations because those are the locations that are going to hold their value and they're going to appreciate over time the quickest. And that's what's really going to create you know, long-term and generational wealth for you. Because remember, at the end of the day, cash flow is great. It sets you free. It pays the bills. It gives you freedom. But equity growth and appreciation is what, at the end of the day, creates generational wealth. So anyways, that is it for this episode. Hope you guys found value. If you guys do love the show, do me a huge favor. Drop me a five-star review on Apple Podcasts so we can help bring on better guests and reach new audiences. Love you guys. Peace. Peace.